Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. If you were to plan an extended trip through the national park system, how would you do it? Where would you go first? How would you prepare? This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at the National Parks Traveler. In this week's podcast, the traveler's Lynn Riddick talks with Christian Garza, who recently returned from a four-month-long jaunt through the parks. He clocked some 300 hours of driving across 17,000 miles of the United States and Canada and shares some of his experiences and perspectives with Lynn. We'll be back with Lynn and Christian in a minute. Maximize your savings with Interior FCU. Explore the benefits of opening multiple certificates to diversify your savings strategy. Discover how Interior FCU's range of certificate options can help you achieve your financial goals with competitive rates and flexible terms. Learn more at interiorfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Patero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with the breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. We know you're out there, you intrepid travelers who take a pause from your busy lives to take a different kind of pause in the national parks. Some of you hit big milestones with the number of parks you visit or number of trails you hike or how fast you hike them. And we know a lot of you get out to the outdoors to heal wounds or replenish your souls. My guest today hit some milestones of his own when he covered some serious territory during a recent journey to our national parks. Kristen Garza of San Antonio, Texas, traveled to more than two dozen national parks, national forests, and national monuments, all in the span of about four months. We thought he might like to share some of his adventures with us. So hi, Christian. Welcome to The Traveler. Hi. Good to be here. Great to have you. Well, first, I've got to repeat, you covered some territory from Acadia National Park in Maine to North Cascades National Park in Washington State, and even up into the Canadian Rockies. Uh, give us a list of some of the others. Yeah, that's right. Um, I hit uh, most of the national parks on the East Coast as well. Uh, the Great Smoky Mountains, Shenandoah, some of the stuff in the middle of the country, um, Glacier and uh, in Wyoming, Yellowstone and the Tetons, as, as well as a couple of parks in California, Yosemite and the Redwoods. Well, what gave you the idea to uh, hit the road in such a way? Uh, well, I've always really loved going camping, just being outside. Uh, my friends and I always took camping trips 
So I've had a list of parks and things that I've wanted to see in the U.S. for forever. And when I graduated college two years ago, I was putting together a plan to um, to just hit all of them at once, kind of, to do it in one fell swoop. Um, you know, it just makes sense if I'm going to drive all the way out to the Great Smoky Mountains, Shenandoah is right there. You might as well do it at the same time. And then you're one step closer to Acadia, so it just makes the trip up there even shorter. So this has been kind of a, a long time plan. I just got a recent opportunity to do it. So I wanted to take the chance. Well, good for you. Well, I did want to ask you a little bit about the planning process specifically. You know, how did you go about it or or did you just wing it? Yeah, it was it was a little of both, honestly. Um I did plan, but it came together in a pretty short amount of time. Um, actually, in in my room here, I have a a map of the United States that I, I just ordered off Amazon. I went to Michael's and got some craft supplies, and I sort of just put pins in all the spots in the U.S. that I wanted to hit, and then I just used a piece of yarn to draw a route basically to all the pins that I wanted to hit. Yeah. And it, it helped that I had uh, friends and, and family along the way that I could make stops at. And that helped a lot in the planning process, knowing like where I was going to, like if I wanted to explore a big city like New York, I knew I had people there and I could always, you know, reach out to them if I needed a place to stay or recommendations for stuff to do. So most of the the day-to-day planning sort of happened on the trip. Um, the big picture was just kind of what I what I planned beforehand. Well, I love it. Pins and yarn and a paper map. I I guess I was curious to know if you used any printed guidebooks or other hard copy reference materials or whether you just went off the internet. Most uh most of the research that I did was on the internet, but Inside of the parks, I actually found myself using the maps a lot, the maps that they give you upon entry a lot more than basically anything else. Because, you know, in most of the parks, you lose service or um, signals very slow. And they're very detailed, the maps, um, finding places to, to see. And there's also like recommendations. I remember in Yellowstone, I had just kind of lost track of the few days beforehand and didn't do a lot of research going into the park, but the, um, they handed you like a newspaper sort of thing when you came in and I used that to basically guide my whole two or three days there. But yeah, that was, that was about it. When did you leave? It was in early mid April, about April 10th. Was that just how things, um, you know, worked out, or did you specifically choose that kind of date? It it was sort of how things just worked out, um, but I got really lucky because that was kind of the perfect time to leave. My cousin got married at the end of March, and that was basically my last, like, formal responsibility uh, in San Antonio. Um, the last thing that I had to be at, sort of. So. After that, I knew I had a window of free time, and I just kind of took off. But the the weather worked out perfectly as far as, you know, leaving in April 
starting the journey in the south the temperatures were still cooler and then as i got up to as i got up to may and june i was further north and especially when there was a big heat dome in the south i was up in canada so the timing was was pretty perfect was there a job involved in any of this did you have to leave a job uh, i did i did right before i left i left a a job i had i was a software engineer for a wellness company in Dallas. Was that difficult? I guess too, I was curious to know, did you have any apprehension that it might be difficult to find a job when you got back? Um, it wasn't that hard of a decision. I knew that this was something that I just really, really wanted to do. Um, and I was lucky enough for the past couple of months to be, before I took off on the trip to be staying with my parents, so I had some money saved up uh, and I wasn't really worried about financials. And I knew that on upon coming back, I wanted to switch. I wanted to pivot in my career a little bit, which is why I wasn't so afraid to, to leave the job at the time. I knew that software engineering is probably not something I'm going to pursue in the future. Um, so it didn't hurt too bad. So back to your trip, um, did you drive the whole time? Yes. Yes. It was me and my Subaru Crosstrek for the whole way. Did you camp the whole time? Um, most, most of the time. Yes. Um, it kind of de depends on how you define camp, I guess. Um, I've, I kind of heard a lot of different definitions over the last four months. Such as? Uh, <laughs> Such as car camping versus backpacking versus, uh, you know, tent camping versus just sleeping in your car. Um, I don't know. There's people kind of put camp, uh, they use it a bunch of different ways. But um, in any of those four versions, I was doing that for, for the most part. Uh, sleeping in your car? Sleeping in my car was the most prominent. Probably, yeah. No kidding. How was that? Um, it was it was a little tight. Um, I'm six one and my cross trek isn't a, a huge car. So it was a little tight, sort of fitting in there for the night. Uh, but it wasn't that bad. I bought a set of screens for all the windows in my car. So there was, you know, I had like a sense of privacy. And I was able to fit my camping sleeping mat in the back behind the passenger seat so I could almost fully stretch out. And um, yeah, it really, it wasn't too bad. What was your first stop? Uh, so first stop, uh, I wouldn't really count. I mean, I guess it would be Dallas. Um, I just kind of went to see a couple friends before I took off. But the first real stop was uh, the Ozarks in Arkansas. And how was that? It was really gorgeous. It was very calm and quiet, which um, I guess I was surprised by. I'm not sure why. But um, yeah, that was the thing I, I noticed about it most was just how like serene everything was. Not Not a whole lot of traffic out there either. So what would you say were some experiences in the parks that really stand out to you? 
definitely the first the first standout moment I had was on the Blue Ridge Parkway just outside of the Great Smoky Mountains. The the Smokies I have been talking about with my friends since high school. Um I have just wanted to see them for so long and they really lived up to to everything that I thought. Um just driving along the parkway you could see like every shade of color in between yellow and red and orange and green the temperature was perfect the the clouds rolling off the mountains were beautiful um yeah that was that was the first time i it just it really sunk in that i was you know out on my own really doing this trip and what was another uh, a great moment for you when i was in montana uh one of my friends from texas had also moved out to Montana and she was working in the Glacier National Park at I forget what the name of the of the place was. It was in Many Glacier. Um and basically she was an equestrian trail guide. So she took me out with a group uh, just riding a horse through a trail in Glacier National Park and it was so stunning. Uh, just everything in in that park and in Montana is just huge and beautiful and it, it's it's hard to kind of put words to to that but it was it was an amazing experience yeah I think we all felt um you know when we've traveled and we've been somewhere and we just kind of have this moment where we feel like our existence is very insignificant you know, when you, you're looking out at the vast, you know, um, area of beauty and, 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 and mountains and geology and scenery and everything so stunning and you feel right. kind of so small. Did you have moments like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Getting, getting to the big parks on the West coast definitely made me feel like that. The glacier and Yellowstone and Yosemite specifically coming out of the tunnel and looking over the valley just seeing how just what a scale everything was on yeah it it really filled me with a, a sense of awe um how tiny i really was i'm lynn riddick and i'll be back with christian garza after this short break listener and reader support make national parks traveler possible every day of the year if you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people, inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference too at friendsofacadia.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. 
See their successes at gtnpf.org. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smoky's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokiesinformation.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. You can show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. I'm back now with Christian Garza. Where did you spend the most time of all the parks? It was probably the Smokies. I think, yeah, for parks specifically, it was probably the Smokies. How many nights were you there? I was there for three nights. Did you do a lot of hiking during all these park visits? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, not as much as I had originally planned. Um, my thought going out was I would spend probably 80 to 90% of the nights on this trip on the trail but I pretty quickly realized that that's just not feasible. Um, it was just, yeah, it was something that was way too hard to do, but I did spend a lot of time hiking, uh, even though I spent most nights in the car. Was it because you were traveling so much between parks? Yes. Yeah. That was a big part of it. The trip in total was 17,000 miles and doing that over four months meant that the list of places that I wanted to go was just so large, I couldn't really spend more than two or three nights in one spot uh, before I had to keep moving. Did anything unexpected happen to you? Not for the most part. I guess I didn't really have many expectations going into the trip. So that's maybe one answer to that. Um, I was unsure of where my next step was going to lead me anyway. I I didn't really have any expectations to be, to have uh, an unexpected event for, you know. Were you under impressed by anything? Any big disappointments? Actually, yes. Uh, there was one, which I was actually pretty sad about because this is one of the biggest parks. And I do, I'm absolutely going to go back there. But in Acadia, I went just before everything was turning well i guess a couple months before everything was turning so probably like 40 to 50 percent of the trees didn't have any leaves on them because either i guess they had just dropped everything or they weren't in season yet or something uh, but there's also a lot of construction going on uh, also i guess because it was the off season they were trying to get ready for the main big season 
but I was expecting a lot more like color and life in Acadia, but um, I guess I didn't see as much as I thought I would. Yeah, and that's okay. Um, I think we all tend to gloss over any you know disappointments that we have during our travels, and um, it's kind of interesting to hear what they were. You know, when people do have something that doesn't that doesn't live up to their expectations, it's interesting to to see what that was all about. Uh, right. Anything else? Not too much else. Just kind of you know dealing with crowds at some of the bigger parks. In Wyoming, especially the Tetons were packed. Um, Yellowstone was even more so. But other than that, other than crowds, um, not much else. Yeah, I was curious to know if you did uh, run into crowds and if they were a deterrent or things like sold out campsites, you know, any other kind of uh, negative things like that. Yeah, Yosemite especially for campsites, uh, was hard to find, especially because I got there sometime in July and outside of, you know, the super high elevation spots in California, it was just so hot. Um, camping was, was miserable if you're not at, you know, 7,000 feet and it's 70 degrees. And pretty much anywhere, at least that I could find near Yosemite was totally booked out. So I did have to spend, I spent a couple nights in more central California and just drove back into Yosemite. I see. I wondered if you slept in your car and whether that was hot. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. One night I did my car and one night, the next night I, I spent uh, in a tent. So you went up into Canada too and Banff National Park. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Banff was spectacular. The Canadian Rockies feel like a totally different, a totally different mountain range than uh, the Rockies that you see that extend into the, to the U S there. Everything is just so huge. The mountains just extend. They just keep going up and up and up. All of the glacier lakes were incredible. Just a, a stunning, stunning blue. But I, I think the real the real star up there is probably Jasper, as as beautiful as Banff is. Jasper was felt a little more, a little closer to nature, I guess. Well, speaking of that, any wildlife sightings to you know relate to us? Uh, yes, uh, a lot. In fact, I was able to make it through more than half of the trip. I went through the the Smokies, Shenandoah. Acadia, Colorado, Yellowstone, the Tetons. And on my last day in Glacier, I saw one bear. But I was just in the Canadian Rockies for three days. And I saw five bears, I think three moose, uh, a ton of elk, and just every other critter that was running around. But yeah, the the wildlife in Canada was just 10 times more than I saw in in any of the other parks. Well, did you, during your journey, um, ever feel lonely? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was four months uh, solo. Of course, you know, I would make calls to family and talk to friends all the time, but it's different than just being at home. 
it's pretty exhausting because everything takes like decision-making power when you're at home you don't really have to think about you know where obviously where you're staying for the night where you're going to be the next day like how much time everything is going to take what you're going to eat um you know if places allow you to come in late if you're going to have to spend money here or there and so not having another person to split all that up with can be one very exhausting but two very lonely it just it piles up after time but sure. i was like i was lucky enough to to have a lot of stops in between with people that i know um my brother lives in bellevue my grandmother has a a place in colorado that i stayed at uh, you know i had friends all up and down the the east and west coast that i stayed with so i was able to break it up quite a bit did you ever get bored only only on the days when i would have to drive like a double digit amount of hours i guess i've always liked driving i guess but when you have to do back-to-back -back days of 10 or 12 hours uh it'll start to wear on you a little bit yeah how did you handle meals i guess most of the time well it was probably split half and half between making my own stuff um and just picking something up i hate to admit it but i ate mcdonald's more on this trip than i probably have in my entire life <laughs> um it's just it's tough when you don't have a fridge to keep leftovers or keep food that needs to be refrigerated like uh, meat or vegetables so most of the food that I had was boxed mac and cheese or cans of tuna or cliff bars and granola of course there's like rice aroni and like ramen and other like instant foods that you can get from Walmart but after a couple of days of that it'll start to wear on you a little bit so getting uh treating myself to like a chipotle or something instead of mcdonald's was was always nice too <laughs> well what do you wish you had more time for and uh what do you wish you might have skipped if anything i don't think i would have skipped anything um that i went through even things that weren't as exciting i definitely needed days that were slower but for things that I wish I had more time for, I mean, the list was so long. Almost all of the national parks that I went to, I want to go back to, see them, you know, at a different time of year, explore different areas of the park, hike different trails. So what's left on your list of parks you haven't seen? And when do you think you'll get there? So... Yeah, originally on the trip, uh, the last sort of section of it was going to be uh, the Southwest, so Arizona and Utah and New Mexico, but I ended up making the call when I was in Newport Beach, California to just drive straight home because, well, one, I was pretty exhausted by this point in my trip, uh, but two, it was like driving 
just when I got to Palm Springs, I think the temperature was like 116 degrees and it was just too hot to keep going. Uh, there was no way that I could spend another two weeks sleeping, you know, in, in 90 degrees until midnight. So the parks in Utah that I really wanted to see was uh, Bryce Canyon and Zion. So I definitely want to go back there. Uh, the Grand Canyon in Arizona, I had to miss that. And I definitely want to go back. But I'm going to probably go back during winter or fall. Yeah. And you return to San Antonio when we're hitting, you know, 100 degrees, 101, 102 for the last, seems like a couple of months. So welcome back. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty great. <laughs> well, any advice for uh, someone thinking about doing something similar? Yeah. If I were to go back and tell myself a couple of things, uh, it would be to one, plan my sleep system a little better. I probably would have gone to Home Depot and, you know, spent whatever, like 60, 80 bucks on some wood and made a little platform in the back of my car to sleep on. That was, that was probably the biggest, the biggest thing is I wish I just had, you know, a better means of organization in my car and, ease of setting up for the night uh after 12 hours of doing whatever all day the last thing i wanted to do was you know move half of the stuff in my car and set up my bed you know for half an hour or whatever it took i would also recommend uh getting a camping stove a coleman camping stove to take with you cooked so many meals on that thing I recommend doing like a week long road trip before you do something way more extended like I did maybe just a week or two weeks if you can make it and make sure that it's something that you really want to do. <laughs> I was lucky enough to have a home base that was, you know, willing to receive me back whenever I wanted. I'm not sure how easy it is for, you know, if everyone else has those kind of options. I really had, you know, a, a perfect opportunity here and um, was super lucky for that. So just make sure that it's something you're really committed to and try it out before you go. And that's good advice. Did you have any trouble with your car? No, I was also very lucky with that. Uh, my car is relatively new. Uh, it's a, a 2020 model. So all I had to do was two oil changes. Uh, one in Florida and one in Montana. And um, it held up great for 17,000 miles and, you know, close to 300 hours of driving. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, Christian, thank you so much for your time today. Um, your story is inspirational and jealousy producing, not <laughs> counting the part about sleeping in a hot car. <laughs> I'm but, glad, I'm glad. <laughs> and we wish you the best um, on your next adventures. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Having arrived at the final days of August, we've also arrived at the final days of our month-long fundraiser for The Traveler. 
Our reporting helps raise awareness about myriad issues from climate change to underfunding facing the national parks and the National Park Service. But we need your support to make the traveler sustainable. I hope we can count on you to help us continue this important coverage. You can find a donate page in the upper right-hand corner of nationalparkstraveler.org. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.